0: And now, The Travel Show with Arthur and Pauline Fromer. Your chance to talk to the publishers of the nation's best-selling travel guide series. Whether your travel destination is around your corner or any corner of the world, The Fromers will help you get the most out of your travel experience and save you money at the same time. And now, Arthur and Pauline Fromer. And this is The Travel Show in which we talk about vacations. Welcome, I'm Arthur Fromer. And I'm Pauline Fromer. And in the time ahead, we're going to be talking about travel.
1: And we'd love to invite you to join that conversation. There are a couple of ways you can do that. You can email me at fromertravelshow at yahoo.com with the travel question, or if you're in the industry and think you'd make a good guest, I have taken some people in the past who have written to me. Uh, But even if you don't want to be on the show, we think that our website fromers.com has some of the best information out there for travelers on all the latest trends on destinations and on more as well. We have really fun social media uh, channels. Uh, So if you follow us using the name fromers on Pinterest on Facebook on Twitter or on Instagram, you'll get a lot of great travel information, some beautiful travel photography. And more. Now, one of the ways that I help on Fromers.com, the editor-in-chief is Jason Cochran. I tend to be the person leading up the Fromer guidebooks, and he he takes the lead there. But I do try and watch the trends. And so I go to a lot of different industry summits uh, where I learn about new things that are happening. And I learned about something that's happening or that, that Emirates... Put into place very, very quietly last summer. Emirates, uh, Emirates
0: being the gigantic Middle Eastern yes. uh, airline that is uh, owned by the people who created the city of Dubai. Right, and uh, Dubai is the is uh, their chief, hub. Is the chief hub of Emirates? E M I R A T E S. One of the one of the major airlines in the world today.
1: Well, and it's interesting. A lot of the other airlines feel that Emirates and several others have an unfair advantage because. They're kind of used for PR reasons by those governments who put in a lot of money subsidizing them, and so they often can get very, very good airfares. In fact, Emirates, a couple of years ago, started flying New York to Milan undercutting most of the fares uh, t- from U.S. to Italy.
0: That was one of the great secrets of travel, that yeah. if you f- flew on Emirates and made Milan your destination, you saved a great deal of money. And
1: actually, because of them, it's become a competitive route. So if you're thinking of going to Italy, don't just assume that you need to fly into Rome. Many From many cities beyond New York, Milan is now the cheaper gateway, surprisingly. And it's an interesting place to visit. It's, it's a kind of nice entryway into Italy. Emirates is also reshaping the business travel world. Um, you know how there's basic economy class, Dad, where yes, you get almost nothing except your seat and your luck. you feel lucky if you get that. You're last right. to go on the plane. They don't let you pick your seat. Um, you don't get any miles. You can't transfer or change the ticket, well, they're going to be doing that with business
0: class. Isn't that amazing? Uh, quite but amazing. But because
1: you're going to be still in one of those seats that lie flat, you're still going to be greeted with champagne when you get on the plane. Uh, you know, you're still going to get a very glamorous meal and s- s- subservile service. you're not going to be
0: getting virtually everything else. <laughs> well,
1: they now <laughs> have three types of business class on many routes by Emirates. There's one called the Saver business class. There's one called Flex. And then regular business class is Flex Plus. If you do the saver, you may not be able to get to choose your seat. But you know you're going to be in one of the business class seats, so that doesn't seem so bad. You may not be able to go into the lounge and Emirates, bizarrely enough, will send a limousine for you if you're in business class to take you to the airport. You lose that perk. (laughs) But still, when I was searching and I heard about this development at uh, Wendy Perrin's conference, she's a a woman who, does what she calls the wow list. If you're looking for a really expert but expensive travel agent, her website, wendyperron.com, is an excellent place to go. And she had experts coming in to talk to her travel agents at a recent conference in New York, and they said some things that were useful for all of us. Uh, And this was one of the things. She also had a miles expert on... But before I go away from Emirates, I did a bunch of searches and found that those folks who are able to snag their lowest fares in business class are saving about $1,500 off the usual business class ticket. Now, you're still spending several thousand dollars, but, but not as much. And these are on very, very long haul routes. So it's good to know. If you were thinking of using your miles to upgrade. That's become increasingly difficult. In fact, nowadays, it's much more difficult to use miles to upgrade than it is to get a free economy class seat. It's easier to get a free seat than it is just to get a better seat. I guess because the competition is so much fiercer among the business class set. As well, 75% of miles are now being gotten through credit cards. People are not getting miles by flying anymore as much. 75% are getting gotten by credit cards. And this miles expert was saying it's better to get one of the credit cards that is not linked to a specific Airline, Because if it's linked to a specific airline, you're stuck with that airline and its partners. Whereas there are cards that give you miles on every single airline.
0: Isn't that a remarkable discovery on his part?
1: Yeah, I thought that was it's common sense. Um, As well at these conferences, I met a lot of people from many different destinations all over the place um, and learned some interesting things that way. So for example... Cedar Park in Ohio. I, I spent some time with folks from Ohio. Have you ever heard of Cedar Park? Dad? <laughs> never,
0: never pulled. In.
1: Well, it is the second oldest uh, amusement park in the United States. It's going to be 150 years old this year. Can you imagine that we've had amusement parks for 150 years? it is
0: only known, obviously, by people who live in the vicinity. No, 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 no. There are
1: people who are obsessed with roller coasters. And they have (laughs) some of the most horrifying roller coasters on the face of the planet with the steepest drops and the fastest speeds. And, you know, they they take your atoms and rearrange them. You get off the ride and you're a different person altogether. (laughs) I mean, that's how crazy their roller coasters are. So it's the 150th anniversary of that, the 100th anniversary of the National Football League's Hall of Fame. Another thing that I would not have thought would be as old, uh, that's in Canton, Ohio, and they're going to be uh, redesigning the main square of Canton to have memorials, or not really memorials because a lot of them are still alive, but to have monuments to the 26,000, I think I'm getting this right, first foot professional football players in football's first 100 years of history. Um, I have mixed feelings about football because it seems to be a sport that leaves so many people damaged for life. Uh, but I know people are in love with it. And so for those of you who do love football in the fall in Canton, Ohio, is going to be a, a very
0: exciting uh, place to go. Let's repeat that again. Canton, Ohio is where a football player, a football uh, enthusiast rather, yeah. can can really uh, exercise his his number one love. I also
1: talked with a lot of people from the British Isles, and they report that in 2019, visitor numbers went up nine percent which really surprised me because I know there's been a lot of worry around Brexit. People don't know what that's going to do to uh, the country, to its economy. But because of that worry, the British pound has been incredibly depressed. It's And certain times, it's almost been at par with the dollar. And so that is bringing a lot more people there, but not just to London. They're trying to get people to understand that two hours from London, you can see remarkable things. You can go to the ancient university town of Oxford. Uh, you can fly to Scotland. You can see very, very different sites all over the British. British Isles, and one area of the British Isles has more castles per capita than any other country in the world. Can you guess which which area that I, would be, I, Dad? I
0: can't guess. Boy, Is it
1: Scotland? Boy. Is it Wales? Is it uh, um, England? You know, I would, I would or Northern normally Ireland.
0: Scotland. I don't. I don't know why. It's Wales. Wales has more castles. Wales has
1: more castles, and it's also become this wacky, adrenaline-pumping destination. <laughs> you know, for many decades, or really centuries, Wales was known for its mines. There were a lot of coal mines in Wales. Under Brit- uh, uh, under Margaret Thatcher, a lot of those closed. And now they've strung these wacky uh, trampolines in these 100-feet-deep mines and people are going down in the mines to bounce around and go on zip lines <laughs> underground and go down slides and it's become the adventure capital of the united of of the uk in fact they have the steepest zip line in the <laughs> world In Wales, of all places. That
0: is the oddest development in travel that I've I've yet heard in recent weeks.
1: Well, we have to take our first break, but we have an exciting show coming up. So don't turn that dial. We'll be right back. are listening to the fromer travel show i'm pauline fromer here with my father arthur fromer and in studio with us this week we have jennifer caesar we're proud to say she is the author of the brand new fromer's easy guide to amsterdam brussels and bruges welcome to the travel show jennifer thank you pauline so um for a couple of years there, not too long ago, people kind of stopped visiting Belgium because there were a series of unfortunate uh, terrorist attacks. Is that done? I, I know you can't tell me if it's done or not. I wish you could. But how does does one feel
2: safe in Belgium nowadays? Uh, I think the focus of that was, of course, on, on Brussels right. um, where the sure. bombings happened. Um, uh I mean, I feel safe. I think most people feel safe there. There is a a bit of a crime issue there, Mm, as there are in in many major capitals um, in Europe. Um, So when you say crime issue, that means pickpocketing mostly? Exactly. Exactly. But very little violent crime. Sure. Right. And so people just have to have
1: their eyes and ears open when you're there, as you do in many large cities around the world. For those of our listeners who have never considered a trip to Belgium...
2: Why do you go? Um, well, most people go to Bruges, uh, mm-hmm. and um, consequently, you go to Brussels because that's usually the entry point for Bruges. Um, whether you're flying in or taking a train, that's generally. Although not uh, to
1: diss Brussels, it has some spectacular museums, some important architecture, and it's the where the European Union
2: has its has its headquarters, right? Absolutely. Um, it's, but Bruges is, uh, there's nothing quite like it. It's uh, absolutely spectacularly beautiful. Um, For those, uh, some of our listeners probably have never heard of Bruges
1: before. So can you give a, a, a nutshell description of why it's so spectacular?
2: Um, well, uh, Bruges, also called Brugge, um, <laughs> uh is uh, Flemish. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, although you will hear, hear French as well. Um, and it's a, uh, Small medieval town, um, perfectly pristine, Mm -hmm. walled, right. Um,
1: And it's interesting why it is so pristine because it's it's uh, it kind of uh, fell off the face of the earth uh, many centuries ago. It had been one of the most important trading towns. In Europe, and then the river that led into it silted over, and so because of that disastrous thing, nowadays we get to enjoy this perfectly preserved medieval city.
2: Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And it um, it is very crowded. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's extremely yeah. popular with day trippers. Right. Um, so my advice is, um, when you're visiting, actually consider staying there. Oh, there, yeah. There are not. A, a huge number of, of hotel options. I, I cannot speak to Airbnb, I, Right. you know, because it's a very small city. Um, but everything really empties out at about three o'clock mm. uh, when everybody catches the train or the bus or whatever back to either, you know, you know Brussels, usually to Brussels. Or maybe
1: even Amsterdam, Or right? even
2: Amsterdam. Yeah. Um, and it just becomes a, a very magical place in the evening mm. because you kind of have it not to yourself exactly but much more to yourself
1: right yes. we are speaking with jennifer caesar who is the author of the brand new guidebook fromer's easy guide to amsterdam brussels and bruges and dad i know for bruges you have a couple of favorites there right you, you always loved saint bavo's cathedral mm, yes. and uh, you found the museums to be extraordinary I right
0: particularly like the the Walk that you could take. There is Mm. a walk along a particular street. In which everything you pass was built in the 17th century, and that it is, it is such an extraordinary experience that it leaves you it leaves you deaf and dumb. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it is beautiful. and, and uh, one of the things that makes it so beautiful is a river goes through it. And so you can go through on the boat. there are these weeping willows, there are these ancient sites. Um, it's, an, it's an extraordinary place. Let's talk a little bit about Brussels. When one visited, visits Brussels, um, how much of the fact that it is the, uh, cent- or the headquarters of the European Union, how much does that affect the traveler's experience, or does it
2: affect it at all? Um, well, if you're coming in from the airport, uh, you're going to see all of the EU huh. and the parliament and all of this sort of area, which is... Um, to kind my mind, not the not not the not the most pleasant looking architecture. Yeah. You know, they they destroyed. Uh, it was quite controversial. Uh, they destroyed quite a few neighborhoods to, mm. to build this. Um, so it it it's a little bit. I wouldn't say isolated, but it's not where you would necessarily right. be if you were going uh, to Brussels as a tourist. So I would say probably not. There are people who get tours of of the the parliament right. house, um, but uh, but it's
1: not the main thing. to No,
2: do. no. The
1: main thing is to go to the Grand Place area and tell tell our listeners what the Grand Place is.
2: Oh my! <laughs> um, well, it's the uh, the center square of mm-hmm. Brussels. It's one of the grandest uh, squares in in all of Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, you have uh, it's pedestrian only. And it's completely surrounded by guild houses, and you have um so guild houses, uh,
1: which may not be a term all our listeners know. These were the unions of the Middle Ages. So there would be a baker's guild and a builder's guild, right? And so these, this is uh, what to me is striking about the square is many of the squares in Europe are surrounded by grand. Clerical architecture, so big cathedrals and other religious buildings,
2: but this is a grand secular square, right? Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't yeah. think of it that way, <laughs> but it's true. Um, and there's a lot of diversity, you know, in the actual architecture itself. Mm-hmm. You know, because you have some buildings like the town hall, which date from the Middle Ages, mm-hmm. I believe, the 15th century. But you have many others that go even up into the 18th century. So you have a lot of different styles. They are sort of complementary, mm-hmm. of course, but, and really, You don't need to go inside. You can just stand there and look and just be fascinated by. Because there'll be symbols
1: from each of the different guilds outside. You can try and guess, oh, yeah, that may mean this. And actually, in your book, you explain all the symbols. So you will find all of that. I'm looking at the clock. We have to take a break. But we're going to be back with more with Jennifer Caesar talking about Amsterdam. So don't turn that dial. We'll be right back after these messages. We'll I'm Welcome back. We have been speaking with Jennifer Caesar, who is the author, I'm proud to say, of Fromer's Easy Guide to Amsterdam, Brussels, and Bruges. For as with all our travel guides, we try and get folks who really know the destinations inside and out. And Jennifer, you lived in Amsterdam uh, for quite some time. I for did. about a year, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that people do when they go to Amsterdam, I would say in a nutshell, they go to its great museums, they go to the Anne Frank House an important historic site, they tour and look at the canals, and they also go to the red light district. Give a capsule description of what people see and do there. Okay. And what and how it's changing because I know there's new rest- restrictions
2: coming in, right? right? the The main red light district is not too far from the um, Amsterdam Centraal, which is the main train station, and it's an historic area, and it's you know dating from. Medieval times, more more 17th, 16th, uh-huh. 17th century. But it is probably best known for having sex workers in the windows. Right. Um, and it's legal. This is all legal. And in it MPC. is legal. Yeah. And it's extremely popular to, to visit. R- for better or see. for worse, yeah. um, mm-hmm. with young people, rowdy people. Mm, um, yeah. And there's a lot of drinking that goes on, there's a lot of uh, gawking. Uh of the the, the women. Um, It's seedy. Yeah. uh, So the
1: women basically are standing in windows to advertise themselves. Exactly. You're not going to see sex. No. That happens behind the curtain, right. but you will see
2: the women. Right. And they are not naked. No. They, they They're scantily clad. Yes. And when the red light is on, That they're, means they're working. Yeah. yeah. So w- new restrictions are coming into this right. activity of right. going and gawking. Yeah. What are the new restrictions? Um, so... Uh, because of of these issues, and because they, a uh, combination of the crowds and the sort of disrespect mm. um, that the city felt was um, was happening with with tours, guided right. tours, they're restricting uh, the tours. Mm. so it, it's 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 quite incredible. During the high season, um, there's more than a thousand guided tours of this wow. district. So basically, Twenty-eight groups every hour, wow. it, and and it's just for those who live there and mm. for those who work there, right? Like these women, you can imagine it's impossible uh, how yeah. demeaning it can be as well. So, they they've uh, restricted the hours, mm. they've restricted the number of tours, and they restricted the number of people allowed on the tours from twenty down to fifteen. Wow. So, if you are going to sign up for a tour of the red light district, be aware that. They may be more in demand because of these restrictions. Right. Mm -hmm. I know a couple of
1: years back, talking again about the seedier side of Amsterdam, and and to be fair, you can have a great vacation in Amsterdam and never go into the red light district and never smoke pot or eat an edible, although that is a big thing. A couple of years back, they were looking at at closing some of the cafes where pot smoking takes place. Mm -hmm. Is that happening? They're
2: called... Coffee shop, so don't get confused yes, <laughs> when you go. Shop. And if you want a coffee shop, <laughs> that's what you're going to get. Right. Um, they they have they have brought down the number. It's true. They they they're not lately, mm-hmm. but it's sort of stabilized. Um, and you, you'll find them all over the city. It's not as though they're concentrated in one particular area. What you won't find is a lot of Dutch people there. Huh. Uh, Interesting. It's, you're you're going to find mainly foreigners. Right. Um, You know, you have to show your ID, uh, you have to be a certain age, I believe it's 18. Um, And, you know, you can smoke it there or eat it there, you can take it off site. Mm -hmm. But uh, yes, I think the the city, again, for the same reasons, was deciding they want perhaps a different kind of of tourist and Mm -hmm. visitor. Um, And it has gotten far more... Luxurious hmm. um, Interesting. In, in in many ways um, from food to hotels right and I think they have just decided, you know there's a certain kind of tourist they want to attract and this is this is not right. what they want to find.
1: We're speaking with
2: Jennifer Caesar, who is author of Fromer's Easy Guide to Amsterdam,
1: Brussels, and Bruges. So let's talk about the great parts of Amsterdam because we've we've kind of concentrated on the CD um, the great museums. Beyond the Reichstag, beyond the Anne Frank House, beyond Van Gogh, those are the top trio, and they're hard to get into. You have to get advanced reservations.
2: What are some of the highlights that you can see and do there? Um, well, obviously, it's just to, to walk around. Yeah. I mean, really, just to walk. It's, you know, to walk the Canal Ring um, is just one of the most amazing experiences, and around every corner. There's something different. Um, Now, Amsterdam has canals because it's under sea level,
1: right? mm -hmm. So the canal ring is impressive not only for its beauty, but also for its engineering. Exactly. Which is from what era? Do you remember? Uh, Like the 1700s? 1700s, yes. Yeah, Yeah. So the fact that they were able to protect the city with these... Con- concentric rings of canals was an extraordinary accomplishment for that day and age. Exactly,
2: and it's it's a beautiful area, right? It's 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 beautiful, yes. And you know, um, and of course, you should definitely take a you know canal tour um, by a boat. It's really the yeah. best way to see and experience that. But you know, there's there's many many other things to do. Yes, <laughs> in Amsterdam that. Is beyond the Canal Ring. Such so, if you want to just take a little breather from, you know, the the masses of tourism and, and all of this, um, for me, I I really enjoy the Jewish Quarter. Huh. Um, it is not Jewish in the sense that there are Jews. Still, Still living there. 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 yeah. Um, but there's multiple museums, and um, for me, one of the, the most incredible spaces is the Portuguese synagogue, mm. um, which is the oldest, I hope I get this right, <laughs> the oldest operating synagogue in Europe. Interesting. I-
1: you know, I'm looking at the clock. We've run out of time. We thank you so much. We've been speaking with Jennifer Caesar, the author of Frommer's Easy Guide to Amsterdam, Brussels, and Bruges. We're listening to The Travel Show, and I would say no activity speaks to good travel better than flaneuring. Now, that may be a term not all of our listeners know, so to help us learn about that and learn about the art of flaneuring... Is Erica Owens. She is actually the author of a new book called The Art of Flaneuring. Welcome to the Travel Show, Thank Erica. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. So we got to start with the definition. Please play dictionary for sure. us. Sure.
3: So I think of flaneuring much like uh, wandering without in any sort of intention. You have no destination in mind. There is no point B to your point A.
1: And where does the word come
3: from? I mean, it's an odd word. And it's F-L-A-N-E-U-R-I-N-G, right? Yes, yes. And we kind of, we turned the word into a verb of sorts. So you might have heard of the flaneurs. It comes, it's a French word. It comes from turn of the century France. And it described a group of men who would go out on long walks gathering inspiration for essays, poetry, party talk, you could refer to them as intellectuals. So the word flaneoring comes from the act of just going out and observing and not being a part of your scene. So
1: was it always a positive word? Or or did sometimes people be made, were they made fun of as flaneores?
3: Definitely not. It depends who you were. So for women at the time, if you were not a flaneore, you were more deemed a floozy of sorts. You did not go out and (laughs) wander without anybody with you. Right. Um, It was not seen as a positive activity. So... Part of the book is also talking about how flaneuring is now for everybody. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it was mainly it was a it was a group of men in France. who So started it's it's not just it for French male intellectuals no, anymore. Not
1: at all. <laughs> so well, what's what's the point of flanoring for those who like to be project driven, even when they're traveling, and that would include my husband. <laughs>
3: um, how how does flanoring help your life and travels? Sure, I. Th- I I view flanoring very much as a type of meditation. It allows you to experience a place by pulling yourself out of the crowd and watching everything going on around you. I, to really get in the mood of what this word was, did this a lot in familiar spaces. Mm-hmm. So I walked around. Familiar places in Brooklyn, you know, I walked to work for months. It's a it's a route that I knew very well, but not talking to people, not interacting, you know, mm. not making comments about what was happening around me. It was a really beautiful mind exercise and got me ready for the day. And that's in your everyday life. When I travel, I find being in unfamiliar places, it's it, it takes the pressure off. You don't huh. have to talk to anybody. Right. You can just take a look at what's going on. You can, you know psych yourself up a little bit before you walk into a store you can sit on a bench you know you don't have the time constraints that you have in your everyday life right well i think that that's Mm -hmm. perfect for travel
1: yeah but for some people and for anybody tuning in late we are speaking with erica owen she is the author of a lovely new book called the art of flaneuring um for some people, they would worry about missing what they're supposed to be seeing and doing when they travel. What would you say to those
3: people? Sure. I just had this conversation with one of my best friends, actually, um, who went to Paris recently and we were chatting about her trip and how she did so many things. And she is one of the biggest flunners that I know. I would walk (laughs) to work with her a lot of the time. And she asked me the same question. And I do think that's Always a fear, but there's nothing better than being able to describe your trip to someone who's never been mm. and you're using more description. You're you know, you may see a really beautiful interaction between two locals that you would never notice if you were in a museum staying mm. staring at the Mona Lisa or some other piece of art that is going to have crowds surrounding you. So I think it's just a it's a twist of your mindset. It's being okay with maybe missing that museum. It's also a good balance of having one or two things that you do really want to see because there are so many beautiful sure, things out of there. I think you are missing out if it's mm-hmm. your first t- trip to Paris and
1: you don't go to the top of the Eiffel of Tower course. or go to the Louvre yeah. or see those things. Yeah. For those who are not natural flenners, you have some tips mm. and tricks for things that people can do to just get on the a
3: mindset of doing this type of travel. Sure. What are What are some of those? Sure. It is so hard. I still have trouble when I go out and walk sometimes. <laughs> and if I had an especially tough deadline or something that happened at work, I just can't get up, out of my head enough to observe. So some of the things that I, I've i learned were through people that I spoke to for the book. So a good friend of mine who's a yoga instructor, uh, Laura Tusink, she had the suggestion of turning it into a true walking meditation. So listening to the sound of your footsteps and getting into a rhythm and focusing only on that as opposed to the world around you and then slowly pulling yourself out of your inner thoughts and looking outward. I find that to help a lot. Uh, Another one that I really enjoy from someone else I spoke to in the book, Matt Sosin, was turning it into a game. Hmm. So start walking. You can pick anything that you would be likely to see. Maybe it's, you know, every time I see someone in a red jacket, I'm going to take a right turn. Uh, (laughs) It takes away the pressure of not having a destination and also busies your mind a little bit. So you do have a task to focus on.
1: Well, it's an absolutely charming book. If anybody would love to... (laughs) You should pick it up, hopefully at a local bookstore, but on Amazon, wherever books are sold. Once again, it is called The Art of Flaneuring, written by Erica Owen. And thank you so much, Erica, for appearing on The Travel Show with us today. Thank
3: you. Quickly, where are you going to flaneur next? Oh, I... Actually I'm getting married in Iceland oh. in the spring and then again in Des Moines so we're doing two things for friends and family but my partner and I will do a lot of walking in Iceland familiar place but a lot of Congratulations see. Thank you
1: So we started out this hour talking about all the things I've learned recently because it's been a whirlwind for the travel industry in New York City recently. So lots of meetings with people from all over. And one of the fascinating things I've heard is, as we all know, there's been a lot of problems with overtourism in many places around the world. And to combat that Certain museums and attractions have been issuing skip-the-line passes to get in uh, to maybe the Louvre in Paris or the Uffizi in Florence.
0: But you have to apply for one of those passes long in advance of your own arrival in exactly. Paris or in another over-touristic de- destination. Right.
1: And you have to pay more and... The popularity of these passes has been their undoing partially. its Reports are coming in from all over the world that people have paid extra for these passes, and yet they're still waiting an hour or more to get into many attractions that they thought they were just going to waltz into because now there are so many people on the skip the line line (laughs) that it's rivaling the regular line. That's part of the problem. The other problem is... So many places around the world have ramped up their security. And so the biggest line that everybody has to get into at most places nowadays, even the people with the skip the line passes, they have to go through security.
0: Oh, my. And
1: that's where the real bottlenecks are happening because people have to take off their belts. They might have to take off anything metal. They have to put stuff through a, a machine. And because of that it's become less clear whether or not these skip the line passes are worth it. So, you mean what? you
0: have to pay for a skip the line pass exactly exactly and, and the entire factor of relaxation has been ended and, <laughs> and, and today I hope for people not. planning to go to Paris to Amsterdam well, to Barcelona to all of the cities in Europe that are felt what, to be over tourists and, and
1: Israel and and Latin America everywhere what things what seems to be working best is timed uh, entry Um, tickets. Those do seem to be working a little better. So if you're choosing between a skip the line or a timed entry ticket, the timed entry ticket may be worth it. The skip the line isn't. Interestingly, I met somebody from Israel who told me that Yad Vashem and uh, the Uh, uh, Masada and other important sites, they are only giving time tickets to big tour groups. And so they let them in and everybody else has to wait. And so I've asked our Israel writers, we have an Israel guide in process right now being written to check this out and find out, is there a time when the massive group tours go so that people can avoid those times. And that's the kind of information we give you in the Frommer Guidebooks. I'm looking at the clock. We have to say goodbye for this hour. To those who are traveling Let a us hearty, wish you
0: a hearty bon voyage. Mm-hmm.